Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the May 15, 2022 session, focusing on Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6, Picturing Hope. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Burt Montgomery. Okay, so typically I don't give away the text that we're going to be looking at <laughs> before the intro, but this one is, is a really well-known text out of Revelation about a new heaven and a new earth. And, of course, if you know me, you know I'm all into newness. If it's new, I'm, I'm really interested in it. So, for example, Regina and I were at lunch today at a, a really cool Korean barbecue place. And I typically just order hot tea when we get, when we get the food there. And normally it's just green tea and they bring it out. Well, the waitress said, well, which do you want, the cinnamon hot tea or the green tea? And I was like, well, tell me about the cinnamon. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so she did, and I didn't understand any of it. I said, bring it. I want to try it. You know, So it was actually really good. <laughs> um, anyway, so newness. Newness is a, an interesting thing, and we're going to be talking about that today. So I thought uh, for a lead-in question, if you could have a say in what a new earth would include, what is one thing you would change or include? It's so much pressure. Oh, the list is massive. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's so much. There's so much. It, it's, yeah. I would so get rid of roaches. <laughs> you know, I thought you might say that. <laughs> I mean, that's like my first thought. And really, the circle of life is not going to be impacted by that, right? Or the new earth will figure out how to fix the impact. Okay. So maybe like, roaches assuming... would be replaced with something cool. Like, I'm assuming in the new earth, like, there's peace and justice and love and hope and all that kind of stuff is, like, a given. So that's why I didn't go there. Okay. okay. I get rid of roaches. Just roaches. Okay. All right. And on their way out, maybe they could eat the mosquitoes. <laughs> and, like, and I'm talking all forms. Like, the big palmetto, the ones they call palmetto bugs, those are just roaches. Like, yeah, but there's the roaches. Something- there's something mm-hmm. really cool about hissing cockroaches no, at the zoo. There is not. At the zoo, no. in the proper place. You're wrong. <laughs> you are completely... Stop! Ooh, that just gave me chill bumps. Don't do it again. Okay, y'all go now. I got sorry. rid of the roaches. I'm sorry, Nikki. <laughs> you are not. <laughs> well, Daniel's it's sort of... It's it sort of a... not talking about clowns. <laughs> now... <laughs> You know what? I'm going to change my answer now. I'm going to get rid of bullying. Oh, because, um, you know, now y'all are. Uh, te- I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Called out. That's a little rough, wasn't it? <laughs> no, cl- clowns, bullies, power outages, pick any of those. I'm, I'm fine with getting rid of those. See, y'all are having fun, and I, I guess we can't have fun. My fun answer would be, I joked before we started recording, my answer would be Journey. But that's not actually true. <laughs> I do like a handful of Journey songs. Um, but, you know, billionaires. Do we really need billionaires? Oh, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Can we can we do away with that? Yeah. I'll get on board with that. You know, once you, somebody, somebody mentioned, you know, once you reach like $500 million, it's like you've won Monopoly, congratulations, <laughs> and you're done playing. That's it. Yes. <laughs> right. You're done. Can we do that? <laughs> Sounds good. Second. All in favor. Yes. Well, Aye. I, the first two things that came to my mind were the elimination of cilantro, a, a very vile herb. 
<laughs> some people, Come on, man. Come on, insist on putting in foods, but I, I'll I'll not do that. Um, the other was pollen. We could just do without okay. pollen. Although I want the trees and flowers and bees to all be happy. But again, it gets fixed in the new earth. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and and but where I would land if I had to choose is I would add a month to every year in which everyone has to travel. Oh. And it would be covered. So so you get a month every year just to take a sabbatic and travel the world, see things, eat foods, meet people. That would Look be at fun. our entrepreneur being all the creative <laughs> ideas yeah, there you go. over here. <laughs> Can't tell oh. me what to do. <laughs> okay, Bert and David win. <laughs> we should start granting winners to all of these intro questions. Oh, wow. We can, I will yeah. proclaim Bert and David win today. You get all the points. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, we are still in Revelation, and uh, this, again, is a very familiar passage, but perhaps one which merits another look. Bert, would you help us get started with that? Yes. And at the risk of being redundant, at the risk of repeating myself, at the risk of saying the same thing over and over again, I'm going to share a story I have, that I know that I have shared a few times before. I'm going to talk about Andy Dufresne. Andy Dufresne is the great protagonist in the great movie, Shawshank Redemption, which is, of course, adapted from the great Stephen King short story. Andy is found guilty of a double homicide, despite evidence to the contrary, and he's sentenced to pr prison. The only way to survive in prison is to live in complete resignation to despair and hopelessness, and simply accept one's place in the reigning nihilism and the amoral survival of the fittest. And yet, Andy somehow manages to continue living for something else. He lives for, shall we say, somewhere else. Even while suffering unimaginable cruel and sadistic violence, emotional and psychological and physical violence, he refuses to give up hope that he will one day see a different world. When told by a fellow prisoner that, who has become a trusted friend of his that hope is a terrible thing to do to oneself because it just sets you up to be disappointed time and time again, hope isn't a reality, he seems to be telling Andy. Andy Dufresne responds, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and a good thing never dies. Throughout the movie, we see Andy able to envision living into a different kind of future. And that vision directly affects his responses each and every day in the present. Andy Dufresne is able to imagine an alternative future. And he lives emotionally in that future. He lives spiritually in that future, even while his physical reality is confined to the present prison. Now, as we've noted over the past few weeks while moving through the book of Revelation, John, the author, is imprisoned on the island of Patmos. He is put there for his part in preaching a revolutionary, liberating gospel of Jesus Christ, which stood in clear opposition to the worship of greed, corruption, and power by the ultra-violent Roman Empire. And he writes a highly coded symbolic, in a highly coded symbolic language to other Christians, 
who are systematically being attacked, persecuted, jailed, tortured, and killed at the hands of Roman rulers. And again, as we have been noting over the past few weeks, the apocalyptic book of Revelation is not a story written for us comfortable Americans in the 20th and 21st centuries about how the world will end one day so that some of us can be rewarded and everybody else left behind. Instead, it is a letter for first century Christians who are suffering terribly in that historical moment. New Testament scholar Barbara Rossing, referring to our specific passage today, says that contrary to popular apocalyptic thinking, there is no rapture or future snatching of Christians up from the earth, but rather Revelation is about God who is raptured down to earth to take up residence among us. Now, not unlike Stephen King's character Andy Dufresne, our real person, John the Revelator, imagines a different future far beyond his present situation. John paints an alternative vision of of a reality to come, one he paints for others to see, one he hopes will capture their imaginations, and one that he invites them to live into in the midst of their current nightmare. It is an image that can grow so vivid in one's heart and one's mind that it can fight off and hold at bay the overwhelming despair and hopelessness of the present situation, which seeks to drive us mad and destroy our souls. In her introduction for last week's episode, Crystal referenced the biblical scholarship of Israel Kamadzandu, who writes, In the deep valley of pain and struggle, Revelation calls upon its readers and interpreters to sing a new song that transcends the present pain and reaches into the divine future. Viktor Frankl, the Austrian psychiatrist and Auschwitz survivor, let's pause for a second so that can sink in. An entire population of people being brutally attacked, systematically rounded up, tortured, murdered by a violent, sadistic, empirical empirical power? Maybe we need to have an understanding of the Holocaust in our minds to help us better understand the communal and horrific political context of the Christian community in Revelation. Frankel says that no matter how difficult or unfair or painfully brutal life can be, the one thing that can never be stripped away from us is our own internal, mental, emotional, and spiritual power to imagine a different reality, and that we have the power to live in that different vision. It's as if we find meaning to keep going. He calls this creating a why to keep living. In doing so, we find hope, the hope to carry on, even in the midst of the most vile and hopeless of conditions. John the Revelator is inviting his readers to do just that, to imagine a different reality, an alternative future where the empire is defeated, where God reigns, where love reigns, where justice and righteousness reign, where there is no greed or hunger and all the people are living together in a life of peace. John believes if his readers can imagine that different future, they will not resign to despair and defeat 
and nihilism in their present. If his readers can see a new world coming on earth, then their spirits will be refreshed and renewed and they could live fully in hope and grace and mercy and love right where they are in that moment. Here is the promise of revelation for God's children who are being persecuted and oppressed by earthly powers. These earthly empires will not last. They do not get the final word. They will fall. And God will make all things new again. And God will come and dwell among God's beloved children, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death and crying and pain and torture and abuse will be no more. Those things have passed away. Can we imagine that? Can we live into this alternative vision? Not for a world to come when this world is over, but live into an alternative vision for this world? What might it mean for Americans in the 21st century if we accept John's invitation to imagine and to live into God's kingdom emerging here in this world today? Man, Bert, that was that was an incredible introduction. And it I think you you spoke into a this dichotomy or this dilemma or whatever the word is that sometimes is brought to bear on this passage and in a lot of scripture actually. Without you you didn't necessarily tie it up so neat for us, which is okay. I don't think it can be. On the one hand, I, I love the hope that is presented here. Without that hope, it makes present reality really hard sometimes. However, if we're not careful, that that future hope can cause us to over-spiritualize present oppression such that we say to people, just hold on, just take the abuse, just hang in there. One day in eternal life, God's going to set it right. And while that is true, that one day God's going to set it right, that can lead us to this narrow sort of escapism that can be really hurtful and damaging, further abusing those who are being abused. Yes. I don't exactly know how to smooth all that out, but I just, I want to, I want to state the danger of, of focusing too much on the hope to come that we lose the hope that we need here. Yeah. You know what I'm getting at? Yes, yes. And and I think what you're getting to is is um sort of a pie in the sky idea that, oh, you know, you're just suffering now, but you'll get rewarded later. And right. that's not uh, that's not what John is saying. That's certainly not what Frankel was saying. Right. And and, and I hope that's not what I was coming across to say, nope. but it, we do need to mention that. And the other thing is it's important to hear from John, who's writing this. While he's experiencing these things, right? He is mm, yeah, a, yeah. he is with them experiencing this. This is not somebody else telling me, oh, it's all going to be okay. You know, Frankel lived through the Holocaust and experienced this and is writing to people who experienced this. This is very different from 
a pastoral counselor telling somebody to accept their situation, it's going to be fine. You know, just give up, just have hope. Um, there's all, there's a lot of complexity to it. I'm glad you brought that up, Daniel. There's a lot of complexity and a lot of careful consideration we have to be mindful of before we just so easily prescribe this. Right. Cause I, and I think your point about context matters. John is not writing this from a place of privilege Right. Um, necessarily to, to tell folks, hang on. I mean, there's, there's a world of difference between, you know, um, someone, uh, of wealth from the dominant culture from, you know, who, who, who has, has every blessing and benefit saying to others, you know, just, just hang in there. It's going to get better. That contrasted with the African-American spiritual, you know, soon and very soon we're going to see the King. I mean, it's, it, where you stand matters. Yes. And and I I don't think that can be divorced from this either. So I appreciate your your mentioning that. And I want I want to add one more thing because I know Nikki's ready to say something. You know, I think we may have mentioned earlier, several weeks ago, when we first got into Revelation, it is important to remember that the common dominant way many of us have been taught Revelation itself is a fairly new thing in world history that is pretty much an American invention of the 17th and 1800s, 17th and 1800s, which was an escapist reality to justify the powers that be. Don't, you don't have to worry about the empire because God will take care of it later. And this is the empire saying these things, right? The white supremacy, slavery, pro-slavery kind of forces that God created it this way. And what we in 20 and 20th and now 21st century Christians need to imagine is those of us who are the empire, we need to see ourselves as the empire in this story. And then how does that story engage how we live toward oppressed peoples? I want to draw us back to the text because, again, common stereotypes about Revelation, it's all about, oh, we will be taken from this horrible place where people are mean and suffer and hurt and are oppressed. We will be taken by God into a wonderful place. That's not what it says. It says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See the home of God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. So that's God coming to us fixing this place where we are, not pulling mm-hmm. us out of it in a, some escapist manner. And there's another, uh, to, to be Daniel Glaze now, there's another uh, word of caution to go with that because many folks, you know, some, some will say that America is the new Jerusalem. And that was mm-hmm. a common thing that, you know, the founding of this country was God creating God's place on earth. And so we have, even when we see what you're saying, there's still, no, no. There's just been so much effort to distort this real message that we need to hear. Yes. Sorry, Nikki. We got to let Nikki talk Mm -hmm. here. She's squirming. No. um, Y'all said a lot of the things that were going through my mind. And I, I find myself when I work in the book of Revelation to always keep the audience in mind. Um, Because if we forget who John is writing to, 
we will miss the whole point of the book. In a lot of my Bible backgrounds that I do for the curriculum, I talk. I try to make this distinction that in our time today, we tend to uh, define the word apocalypse as like the end times or um, this time of great destruction. Um, but when John was using this Greek word to these people, the word means to reveal. It means to show what has been in secret. And there are there is destruction in this, but it is not for the people to whom John is writing. It is for those who are in power. It is for those who oppress. And so that can be really instructive to us as we think about what these visions mean to John and what John is writing about. Um, if somebody tells us we can't pray in school, that's not oppression. Or that we can't have prescribed prayer in school. I should be more accurate with my words. That's not oppression. Um, if we get uh, backlash because we say something in public and people don't like it, that's not oppression. Right. The oppression. If somebody else gets something good, that doesn't mean we're being oppressed. That's right. Right. That's right. Um, and the whole point, if you pay attention to the story of uh, the Hebrew scriptures and the Greek scripture, it's that God is about bringing out a leveling. God, uh, let me say that clear. God is interested in leveling the playing field for everyone. God brings down the high and mighty and raises up the low. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. And here in the book of Revelation, the same thing is happening here at the end. Those who are oppressed, those who um, are in harm's way because of overpowered emperors are going to be brought up and those emperors are going to be brought down. And if we are not facing the kind of oppression that is talked about in this book, and I think, Bert, you're exactly right to bring about to bring up the Holocaust as an example. Um, I think that's a very, or um, the time of uh, chattel slavery here in the United States. Um, both of those are excellent mm -hmm. examples. If we are not experiencing something like that, I think very present day, it would be what's happening in Ukraine. Yes. yes. Um, then we are not the people John is writing to. John's writing to the people in Ukraine. Well, John yes. is writing, yes, yes. I mean, metaphorically speaking. Uh, right. Right. And, and if, so if there are people that that in our context right now in the United States that fit that, it might still be the the many um Hispanic refugees mm -hmm. along our southern border or that are being put on buses and sent to DC. It might be the LGBTQ people mm -hmm. who are the target of so much legislation right now that denying your existence, you know. Denying your humanity, denying that you are a child of God, these are the people to whom, and 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 the forces of the powers, like you said, the empires, the legislators, the polices, the 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 police forces, the military, the religious institutions that justify it all, and the places of money and action and, and commerce, are targeting people. I mean, these would be the people that need to hear and that to whom John is writing today. Yeah. 
But but I, I want to I want to lift up something, and, and I think you said this before, Bert. That yes, we need to understand that John is writing to oppressed peoples. But and I think you said something similar to this. But th- that doesn't mean those of us who who may not be oppressed or who are part of a dominant culture can turn away and ignore. Right. Because there is a word for us here. I mean, in, in this passage, as much as we make tender and intimate this beautiful language i'll admit beautiful language see the home among of god is among mortals he will be with them he will wipe every tear from their eyes death will be no more mourning and crying and pain will be no more i mean that's beautiful language but it also says something to the dominant culture if yes. we are part of the ones giving causing mourning and crying and pain we need to stop that before god makes it stop Mm. Right. Because God making it stop might be awfully painful for those who are causing it. And it's it's almost a, I mean, I don't I don't want to say a, like a warning shot, but it's 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 a I, I think a realization of the way God wants it to be. And and we and the hope for 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 some folks needs to be stop your oppressing, stop your causing people to mourn and cry and, and have pain, or, or God's going to stop it. Yeah. And I think, absolutely, Daniel, I also think that there are those people who who would respond and say, I'm, I'm not oppressing anybody, I'm just living my life, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's true. Like there are those of us who find ourselves um, caught up in systems because those are the systems that exist for us to operate in. And we know that the clothing we buy might not be sustainably sourced or even ethically sourced. We know that um, the food that we get at the grocery store might be hurting other people in the way that they have to get it or taking away resources from other people. Um, and so if you find yourself in that place where you're not the, you are not the chief of your community or the CEO of your company, and you don't have a lot of power to change systems, that doesn't mean you don't have the power to give hope to somebody around you. Mm. And that you Amen. don't have the power to help someone begin to live into what their new heaven and new earth might be able to look like. Mm. Um, we all have the power to give hope to another human being. And sometimes that's enough. And sometimes just doing that will help us then take the next step and the next step and the next step. Mm. One of the things that strikes me as we discuss this passage is how the scriptures are bookended by God's creative work. So we have Genesis 1, where we see God bringing into existence that which we know. And here, it, toward the end of Revelation, we have God promising a new heaven and a new earth, which ought to give us all enormous hope in the healthy ways we've described, yeah. in the sense that God is not some fixed statue in a temple somewhere. God is this God who all the way from the beginning of Scripture to what we have in the end of Revelation is a creating God, is a God that is at work in our midst. In fact, the peak of Scripture is the incarnation where Jesus comes to be one of us among us. 
that the scriptures can be seen as the story of this creative God reaching out to creation and willing to recreate, that this existence is not the only one. This is the way the world is right now is not the way it has to be. And it really can be different. And, and sometimes my friends talk about theological imagination. And I think part of that is this notion of us helping imagine a better world right now here that we can help build, that the way things are don't have to be the, the way they are. It can be changed because we serve a creative God that sees possibilities that we don't yet see. Well, we have one more week in Revelation, and uh, we'll continue this really relevant conversation. But thank you all for this good conversation. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.